You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, I think we're live, mate. Uh, hopefully, um, we, we've pressed all the right buttons. Uh, Matt is a genius at this kind of stuff, so uh, yeah, uh, um, hopefully, I'll do him. Uh, I'll do him justice today. Uh, so my name is uh, Mike Grice. I'm the Education Director at Movement Therapy Education, and we have uh, Gary Benson with us as well. Hi, Gary. Hi, Mike. I uh, hope, hope everybody's well this evening. Um, yeah, so this evening, we, you know, what we're doing is a little bit of a catch up from last time where we were speaking about uh, employment opportunities for, for graduate therapists and, and, and we diversified a little bit into, you know, soft tissue therapists as well. Um, but if I can, I'll just start with a with an update uh, about what's happening behind the the STA scenes, if you like. Uh, so Jake, who's been um, you, you may have noticed on the uh, on the STA groups that there are a lot of uh, prize draws coming out, a lot of new working relationships with with uh, publishers, book publishers, uh, uh, products and service providers, medical service, uh, kit providers, etc. So Jake's working really hard on developing that side of it for the member benefits um, and doing all of the admin processing, all of the renewals, etc. Uh, but some of the feedback in the surveys that we've done over the past 12 months or so is that um, members are wanted us to move away from PayPal. Um, it's become quite clunky. It's become really difficult to get in touch with PayPal. So we've been working hard and we've set up a new system where we'll be able to pay with, uh, pay our membership fees with debit or credit cards uh, through Stripe. Um, so that's going to go live next week. And, and at the moment, I'm working in, um, every evening on changing all of the wording on all of the, uh, all the references to PayPal will, will have to be changed. So um, it won't affect those people who have got a recurring subscription through PayPal at the moment, uh, but in time we will be, be moving over. Um, other feedback that we got as well was the, the renewal process. You know, everybody has to um, pay the renewal fee. They have to provide a CPD statement. Um, and it's just a simple statement that exampled on the, uh, the STA website, www.thesta.co.uk. Look at the membership tab, um, scroll down to the membership renewal and the CPD page, uh, and it gives you all the information on how to renew. Uh, again, I'm going to make a plea to every single STA member, please check your junk mail, please check your text messages, please check your voicemails and please check your Facebook messenger. We are trying our hardest to get in touch with you and we're getting lots of bounce backs and, and unanswered uh, messages. So please, please get in touch. If you haven't heard from us a while, just get in touch with Jake or myself at the office. Um, Scott's been working. Evening, Scott. I saw you in there. Um, Scott's been working on developing a resource pack and we're trying to cover every eventuality with a resource pack and it, it's growing and growing. But, you know, that should be out within the next uh, few weeks. So that, that's really good. Uh, look forward to getting that on. Uh, and also as well, the, the just going back, if I may, to the CPD, uh, there will be an interactive form that you can fill in now. Um, so instead of just writing a statement, everybody will be required to to fill in what CPD they're doing. Um, it's, uh, as I say, it's interactive. It, it accumulates your hours for you. And uh, we're just working on an example page that we can put at the front to show people how to do it. Uh, just remembering that September and October is our 
annual audit time where every week in September and October we randomly select 10% of our members and we ask them to uh, prove their, their CPD statement by providing the necessary evidence. So uh, we'll be gearing up for that um, later this summer. Um, yeah, so that, that's all I've got, Mike, really. So we, we, we've asked for questions. I, I've had a number of questions sent through. Um, yep. Some of which I would I would like to put to you, if I may, um, and, okay. and also yep. to get some some member input. So um, I'm not going to give names with these questions because some of them are sent uh, anonymously, uh, are asked to, to remain anonymous. Um, so the first one that, that that came in earlier on in the week was um, when you're creating your business listing or services on your website or your booking system. Do you list your individual treatments or generic appointments? And this is really apparent for you because you work in a multidiscipline uh, environment. Yeah. So do, do you list the individual therapies, the services, or do you just book in for an appointment and, you know, get a little bit of a history of, of what's going on? And do you allocate the right therapist to the right client? Yeah, so um, we've done it a couple of different ways. Um, and uh, the way that we... Um, the way that we did it when we had a smaller team was we would we would have a generic uh, form that uh, a, any patient would fill in. And on that form, they could request a specific person or they could um, just say anybody within the team. Um, and it, like, it doesn't matter who I see kind of thing. And then uh, they would then list um, the the kind of treatments that they would be interested in. And then um, and also give us a little bit of their history as well. Uh, and I basically used to make um, I used to make an educated guess as to who the best person in the team would be for them to see. Uh, that was obviously quite time consuming. And uh, and I would have to vet every single uh, one coming through. So if you've got a small team, then it's fine. But as the team grew and we've got uh, we've got 10, uh, 10 therapists now and they all do slightly different things. So what we tend to do now is we are I, when the guys join the team, we ask them to focus on a niche. So um, they um, who's their ideal patient? Who do they want to see? And uh, and then we we then advertise them targeting towards that ideal person. So and obviously that depends on experience. It depends on qualification level and uh, and interest as well, because you obviously want to see see people that um, that interest you. Um, intellectually as well as well as um, um, you know kind of getting people through the door so um, yeah we're, we're, we've we've done it a couple of different ways to, uh, depending on on um, on where we were really yeah um, I hope that helps <laughs> yeah um, it, it's it's a difficult one really isn't it because um, it leads into another question that came in earlier in the week about um, it crosses over into a couple of questions, actually. So one of them was, you know, how important in our industry is it to work within our specific remit? Now, mm -hmm. what we've done with the STA web chat podcast over the past um, 15, 16 months is try and identify a number of referral pathways. So we're not wholly talking about soft tissue therapy, sports therapy. We're looking at things outside and, and and one of the messages that comes across to me um frequently is that you know take dr deepak randivan 
from last week, mm -hmm. uh, from a couple of weeks ago, he said, you know, you are the first people to see these clients with the lumbar pain, the non-specific non lower back pain. You know, yeah. you are the people to see, you know, people presenting with a groin strain before they go to the GP, before they yeah. go to the get into the NHS system. So, you know, the, the question about remit is that if we can identify what our remit is and we stick to that, but also as well, it gives us um, scope then um, and knowledge and a referral pathway for, for things outside our remit. Now, yep. you know, that's for a single practitioner like myself working in a, in, a, in a lone clinic environment, you know, in a multidiscipline environment, then how, how does that work? You know, do, do you, you mentioned that people have specific skills, but, you know, do you have a soft tissue therapist, you know, and does the osteopath mm -hmm. refer to the soft tissue therapist for, for a bit of a back rub, for want of a better phrase? And then as you go back to the osteopath, how, how does it work in practice? Yeah, so it, it is exactly that with us. Um, and I guess one of the reasons why we, we tried to have a team that specialised in different areas is because we didn't want an environment where you were treading on other people's toes. So, um, I mean, some people have got very um, similar interests, but on the whole, they are um, they are uh, different. So, um, for example, um, Chris Tiley, who did the uh, Never Too Old to Lift uh, web chat a few few weeks ago, um, he's one of my physios. Um, that's what I say. He's mine. He's, he works in my clinic, uh, but he's um, he's a great colleague to have because if I get any patients through um, who fit that kind of age bracket. And um, um, I mean, initially, it, it depends if um, I may just say, do you know what, Chris is the best person to see for your initial consultation, let, let alone a follow up. But if someone comes through to me on, on initial consultation and I think, do you know what, you, you're going to really benefit from seeing Chris, then uh, then I, I then set up the uh, the communication with with Chris. And then he he then contacts the patient directly and books them in, uh, books them in with him. And um, quite often um we're, we're in the clinic at the same time so that that's ideal so then I, I would introduce uh chris while we're on the gym floor and um so then the patient knows who he is and obviously got that connection already so um yeah we're, we're we I, th I guess the thing is to and it, it depends because i'm i'm you know over 10 years down the line now and um and i've got enough of a patient client base to to be able to do that and i think initially when i first started i didn't have a big team it was just me so similar to what you were saying before and i would have just tried to do everything because i had the time to do everything but now i don't have that time we we streamline um the referrals a lot a lot better um well i hope we do and um yeah there, there's uh we do have a soft tissue therapist um we do have someone who's um who only wants to do that that that's what and um, that's what their current role is which is brilliant for us because we get a lot of uh patients come in that um just want soft tissue therapy so um that that's great and uh and if anything ever does crop up with that person that they think mm, well actually this might be beyond what i can deal with then they they just get referred back to one of the clinicians so uh we've, we've got a lot of to in and fro in um going on De definitely yeah it works it works really well yeah, and I suppose one of the the downsides for, you know, individual therapists is that, you know, from the members I speak to on a sort of daily, weekly basis, you know, they, they always 
initially talk about their competitors as a rival you know mm -hmm. so you might live in a small market town for example um, um, you have a niche um, and you see everybody else as a direct rival and you yeah. know my even in my previous business you know my mo if you like was always to make contact with those people around me um, ask what their specialisms were um, mm -hmm. explain what mine were and then to build that sort of referral pathway, cross referral pathway um, in the local community or the local area. Now, what you've done, you've taken that stage further and you've built that referral network within one small hub. Um, yeah. You know, some of our members that, you know, they don't want to do that. And you correctly identified that, you know, and that somebody and your word was only wanted to do soft tissue. And I think that's really valuable. And, and mm -hmm. some of the things that happened, you know, a couple of months ago with the announcement of, of, of level three therapists being um, cast aside, if you like, without a without a viable alternative, you know, it was a commercially driven alternative. You know, if you want to stay a member of, of us, you must do this course. Um, and I thought, you know, that was extremely disrespectful to those people who who like being a soft tissue yeah. therapist and they didn't yeah, like exactly. doing their, yeah. their pre and post event and their maintenance massages and some remedial techniques and you know that probably makes up you know 50 percent of our membership if i'm honest and we have diversified as we've said from from the foundation degree sports therapist we we were set up to represent um and because of the level of service and and support that we give uh we gave to those people then you know we have, we have now taken on board some more soft tissue therapists so um you know interestingly again and this links on you know um one of the questions that came in earlier was about you know how do you market to your ideal client now you've explained that you i would imagine just have a a, a general clinic advert um you've got all the resources with you but but the the inference from the question was that you know if you are a level three massage sports massage therapist that we've just spoken about then your remit if your qualification was after 2014 is pre and post event massage and in inverted commas maintenance massage what we shouldn't be yeah. doing is is working with a, with remedial effect if you like because that's a you know it doesn't our qualification doesn't extend that far now the marketing question was are you getting the correct type of client? Now, if you're a level three sports massage therapist and you're advertising for pre and post event and, and, and maintenance massage, then I, I argue that you, you might be. Mm -hmm. But if you're a graduate sports therapist or a, a personal trainer um, or a higher level soft tissue therapist, um, then if, if you list your services that, we, that was mentioned in the first question, how many people think that the, your services are important how many people don't how many of us don't make a connection with the client in the first instance which then gets them into our um into our clinic and then we can explain or we can choose the services which best fit their presenting condition yeah yeah that, that's a really good question because um again one of, well, um, i've just seen becky's um uh, comment there so i'll come back to that in a yeah. second um but um one um one thing that we've found is that because we talk uh, um, th this podcast is great th this uh, web chat is great because we talk all about evidence-based practice and but patients don't really know what that is and they don't understand the language behind it 
um, and, and sometimes uh, us as therapists that um, don't understand it either. So uh, um, it's an emerging kind of um, field. But we, what we wanted to do was project our clinic as this um, kind of pain science led, um, evidence led um, clinic, uh, which it, which is, I hope, what, what we are. Um, but the problem is that the general public don't know anything about that. So they're, they're not looking for that. They're, they're looking for a sports massage. They're looking for, for an osteopath or physiotherapy appointment or sports therapy appointment. They're, they're, they won't search for those things that we, we think are important. So we then had to completely change our, our marketing. And, um, and, and Dan Williams was, was the guy behind it. Um, and we, um, yeah, we, we completely switched our focus so that we would, we would advertise the things that people were looking for. And then when they come into the clinic, we, they would then see that we're different and it had to be that way around because otherwise they wouldn't come in because if they saw, you know, your kind of explanation of things that were a, li a little bit kind of highbrow for want of a better word that, and then it didn't resonate with what they thought they needed. And then the next clinic along did, and the, and that's how they advertised, and and they would go to them instead. So um, yeah, we're, we've we've had to kind of um, we've had to change a lot of our um, a lot of the wording that we use in, in the marketing so that it appeals to um, to uh, the, those kind of clients. Um, so uh, is that does that yeah, make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, what if I can just use a sort of a, an anecdote about you know my own practice from you know 2000 and whatever to to when I stopped working in clinical practice you know that the first thing I did is I, I got a, a card off Vista print which showed a biomechanical picture of a knee um, you know and you know I put my name and my allegiance to my professional association and my um, you know what I did um, mm -hmm. and it was unsuccessful um, and I I went and sought you know sought some guidance from a marketing specialist and you know going back now 16 years they said you know how are you making a connection with your client mm -hmm. and i said well i'm telling him what i can do and they said well you know things like introductory offers they never work you know yeah. people who pay an introductory offer will never want to pay the full price because the service is exactly the same why should they yeah. um so what he asked me to do was go away and and decide what my niche would be and i thought well my niche is you know it's anybody who's got an injury you know i can help them um i've never fallen into the, the the trap of trying to fix people but i can always help them and facilitate improvement uh and and at the time i was working quite closely with a golf professional um our sons both played uh, county cricket and we used to sit and chat about uh, things and he he would tell me how he coached clients. And I said, well, what if a p person can't rotate through 90 degrees, you know, into their backswing? Um, and we just got, I got really interested in golf and I'm, I'm still fanatic about golf anyway. Um, and yes, Claire, I'll mention how hard can it be golf, eh? Um, <laughs> and, but but I, I got a, a picture of a card and it was simply a golf ball held between a thumb and forefinger. And I said, do you want to hit this 25 yards further? Question mark. Yeah. My phone didn't stop ringing from high handicap golfers who perceived that hitting a ball 25 yards further made them a better golfer. Yeah, exactly. I, I alienated low handicap golfers who always look to break 90 or break 80. So I had to have a, a you know a different tack for those. Yeah, so I, yeah. any, any members who are listening, 
you know, should the takeaway message should be was always review your marketing. You know, if you if you leave 10 business cards at the cricket club, you know, and you go back there a month later and there are still 10 there. Um, you haven't you haven't appealed to anybody. You haven't made that connection. So does it have yeah. to have to have a, a picture of a cricketer on there to you know, or a rugby ball for a rugby player, or you know, does do we have to go that simple with with, with our athletes? So marketing, it, it is an ongoing thing, and I, I bet you 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 set aside time every week for your marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've. Um... Uh, well, one of the other questions we had was about burnout. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, so last, uh, we, we were really good before COVID. Uh, we, we were really good at setting aside uh, every Wednesday we'd have a meeting. Um, and then um, we, we really haven't done that since, um, since COVID hit. Um, at the beginning, um, those first couple of months, I mean, we're, we're lucky because we were, uh, we've got a, a, a uh, clinical teams we we didn't have any um restrictions imposed on us um well really from the beginning so we had about two months where we shut and then really from last june we have been open in some guys uh now we're starting to get back to normal again but um i i'm at the stage um now well, well basically last year was just survival and um and and now i'm getting busy uh, back to normal again i need a holiday <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm we can't go anywhere now where uh yeah I've, i'm you know things are just getting back to normal and i just feel like oh thank god but but also um yeah i i'm i'm feeling it myself you know i've uh we've we've had to check well we've had to spin a lot so we've um first of all we invested in all and and invested our time into learning how to do telehealth and uh well and a horrible word but and the, the virtual appointments and obviously now that that's not as as um many coming through in fact i can't remember the last time i've done one um but uh yeah now, now we're seeing patients face to face again and um and we're getting back up to pre-covid um kind of figures so um it's um yeah it's it's kind of like you've gone through that really hard slog and uh and now yeah now i'm ready for a now I'm ready for a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, and is it is it about saying no to clients? You know, because you know, especially if we're a new therapist, you know, if we've just if we've just graduated or just qualified last year or during COVID or even this year, you know, unfortunately, you know, because of what we are led to believe by our training provider in in seventy five percent of cases that we can fix everybody, mm-hmm. so we never we never reflect and say, actually, you're better off going and seeing X, Y, and Z than, yeah. than seeing me. So there is a, I think there is a tendency for new therapists to, to not say no. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely get that. And um, yeah, it depends on the the stage you are in your, in your business. And um, I think that again, that that's the real handy thing with having a bigger team. So um, what I've done to save myself is um, I now, just do two clinic days and then the the rest of the time I focus on the education side. Um, and I made that decision, um, when we came back, um, from last year and it's, that that's made a, it's made a massive difference. And because the, the thing is, I mean, if I went back to any more than that now, I would be doing new patients a disservice because I don't have, um, I don't really have the, 
time to to follow new patients through with a with a good enough plan and i would i would much rather that they see someone else in the team who's going to really look after them because they do have the time than trying to fudge through and and i know again you know i i am in that position where i can do that with because of the people that are there and i know it would be difficult if it's just you on your own but um yeah i think um if you if you're on your own it's going to be a bit a bit tough um but if you do have a bit of a team it's it's time to funnel funnel people through um obviously you need to guide people towards the the right kind of um, person in your team um but uh, you equally you need to think about that patient as well and um yeah just make sure that they're going to get the the level of service that you would you would want to want to give them um I'm just going to mention Becky's question yeah, yeah. because it hasn't been there for a while. So uh, Becky Carroll, uh, she said, I had a lady in the other week. I think this question might go over um, the, uh, yeah, uh, I'll read it all out. So I had a lady come in the other week um, who came in with two separate injuries. She was after advice on both, which I did. Uh, she was surprised when my fee was the same as it was uh, previously for a single injury. Apparently a previous therapist charged per injury. And this was a new one to my ears. It's a new one to mine as well. <laughs> I've never known that before. Wow. I mean, yeah. um, I, I had someone today where, because um, we obviously screen people before they come in. I, I did take on a new patient today. It's my first one in a while. And uh, and it was a late, I usually get um, uh, people that are quite um, uh, difficult patients, um, which is great, really challenging. And I, I love that. And um yeah, so I had the, uh, the, this patient come in and uh, I knew that from phoning her beforehand and um, before we booked her in uh, that I was going to need a bit more time with her because talking about two two injuries, there was, <laughs> there was about five or six things going on. So uh, that, that we ha- had to, um, I-, I planned it so that she was in just before my lunch. So if, if it needed to run over, then I had time that I could I could use. And um, I mean, she even said after an hour, she said, um, have you got someone else in after me? And I was like, don't worry, it's all, <laughs> all sort. And we, we had a really, really good, uh, really, really good session. But you, you need to kind of plan those sessions in. And I certainly didn't charge her for, for multiple injuries. I, I think that's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, did they have a, a you know a sprained yeah. ankle? And as a result of that, you know, walking and limping, had they got a, a you know lower back uh, pain? Uh, yeah, but we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I, I go on to you know follow that on, Fiona Notman's uh, chipped in with saying yes, we have to sometimes say no and take a break so that we can come back yeah. from a holiday refreshed. Get yourself on a holiday, she says. I've joined you from my holiday in Malta and returning fresh, <laughs> ready to start on clients again. Let's hope, Fiona, when you get back, you don't have to isolate. Um, yeah. Well, do you know what? Uh, <laughs> make next, Sorry. Yeah, ne- next week I'm I'm in Bournemouth. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going to Costa del Bournemouth for a week, yeah. and uh, I, I, I I'm so looking forward to it. I think you definitely have to isolate coming back from Bournemouth. <laughs> 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 oh, I won't I won't be going to the beach at busy times. That's for sure. No, yeah. No, no. I, yeah, I feel sorry for Matt actually if he is listening tonight because he he has got some terrible rain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's camping as well. So bless. Yeah, uh, so yeah, everybody should experience, uh, you know, thunderstorms in a tent at least once in their life. <laughs> and then you can realise that uh, hotels are a lot better. <laughs> yeah, right, right of passage, definitely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I posted out the question uh, to uh, some of my guys in my group as well. And um, uh, let's have a look. 
Um, it was Chris uh, Kitson uh, got back to me with a question. Let me just see if I can get it up here. Uh, so he was asking about, um, if you don't mind me uh, putting this one in, um, is asking about um, uh, what is your opinion on how much research therapists should do reading per week, uh, per month or per year and why? Uh, so I'll put that over to you first, Gary. OK, so this is a conversation that Scott and I have had recently. You know, if we're looking at CPD. You know, if we've got a graduate sports therapist who's providing me with a CPD statement, I would be expecting to see some self-directed research in there because they're academically trained. I yep. wouldn't necessarily expect it from somebody who is a sports massage therapist. Um, yep. I would I would like them to to, you know, note down some and, and reference some of these web chats and podcasts um, so that, you know, it demonstrates that they are learning, you know, above their skill set, if you like, at the moment. And it might pique an interest, um, you know, and, and uh, just a classic example is the endometriosis and the women's pelvic health ones with um, um, uh, Deb uh, Thurlow-Rowley and um, Gronya Donnelly, respectively. You know, they both had great feedback and people have come to me saying as a result of listening to those you know they are now changing their marketing so that they because they're really interested in working in women's pelvic health for example now Brilliant. one of those is just a, is is just is only you know um a sports massage therapist in her words mm -hmm. but she is now you know, researching what what training is out there. She's researching and looking at research papers into, you know, the missing link. Uh, I think Debs was talking about the missing link and taking seven years to get diagnosed with endometriosis. So, yeah, I think we should all we you know we all have an obligation to to for every day to be a school day. Um, but I think yeah. it has to be relevant and um, respective of their qualification so yep. the higher level we achieve in our education the more likely we should be doing um doing our own research yeah no definitely and um i kind of we, we see that um a bit on uh, social media with um the kind of um bashing of of therapists as well and uh, well what comes across as bashing i'm sure it's um it's not intended to be uh, to be that way but we have to remember that um, a lot, a, a large majority of the people that do the qualification in this country, they they're not um, at degree level, so they they would have never have done research um, methods. They wouldn't know how to search the literature, so they're they're guided by their course materials and their tutors. And um, I think we have to get yeah, cut cut them a bit of slack sometimes. And um, uh, yeah, just. Um, it, it's something that they they will have to if they want to and they feel that they need to then something that they will have to evolve into um yeah it's i think uh some of the um some of the arguments some of the words that are used are um sometimes they go over my head uh to be honest and uh and i i have to read about um something because i'm like well i've never i've never really heard that before but at least i know where to where to look whereas um some people don't even know where to look so yeah i think i think that's um that's a really good point yeah yeah um so just on um you know future training progression training etc um what one of the questions came in about um first aid yeah and you know 
a lot of people have struggled over the pandemic to get their first aid updated. And so what we did um, back, back towards the you know summer of last year, we said, look, if your first aid expires and you don't feel safe attending a course that has a practical element of CPR and, and has defibrillator use, then, you know, don't don't do it. You know, mm -hmm. if you're put into that situation, I guarantee that you will react. You know, you will go back to your training, even though it was might have been three and a half years ago and not three years ago. Um, uh, so what we've said is that if you are due to renew or if you due, due to join as an STA member, we are not enforcing the first aid evidence at this time. What we are saying is that September and October is our audit period. You have mm -hmm. until then to get your first aid evidence into us. Um, and the minimum standard is it's about a five or six hour course and it's breathing, bleeding, breaks and burns with practical of CPR, life saving and defibrillator use. Um, yeah. uh, so that, that, that is what we accept. But, you know, the question that came in was, you know, I want to work pitch side. Will my phase one, for example, or will my first aid at work suffice? So what's your view on that then, Mike, if we're working pitch side? Yeah, um, I don't think it does. Um, it, I don't think the syllabus covers the kind of injuries um, that you're going to face, uh, potentially face pitch side. Um, there, there are some courses out there uh, that um, include uh, an element of concussion management and um, spinal and airway, spinal airway management uh, alongside the EFAW. But even then, I wouldn't consider that a pitch side course. I would kind of um, it's filled in some of the some of the blanks. Um, but uh, yeah, you, I, I, I think you would, you would need to do a proper pitch side qualification um, so that you've got peace of mind. Uh, and you, you need you don't even you don't cover anything to do with spinal management on a normal EFAW. So and that's the, obviously going to be the biggest risk, uh, especially if you're you know, um, watching rugby from uh, pitch side. Then um, yeah, uh, I, I would definitely recommend that. I mean, if we think about EFAW, uh, the Emergency First Aid at Work course, it's designed for working in an office. Um, it's just completely different environment. I mean, so some things you can obviously transfer over, but there's so many things you need to think about uh, in terms of your first aid risk assessments uh, when you're working on on pitch side. Yeah. So, you know, my view on that then um, mirrors yours, Mike. What what I always um, advise members is that depending on your sport, your the sports governing body will have a minimum standard. Now, if yeah. you're if you're working at a, a certain level or a certain step uh, of the sport, there will be a, a first aid course, which is aligned to that level or that, that step. Now, we've got a really good relationship with the FA and our graduate members can access the FA higher level courses, which are mm -hmm. required when you're working at the higher level of, of, of football. Um, the RFU, they tend to like the RFU um, courses. The problem here is they're not being delivered in the numbers that are required. So, yeah. you know, what I'm saying to members is get the best one you can yeah. for the money that you can afford um mm -hmm. but also as well you know if you are working pitch side you know again recognize your remit you know if yeah. something happens which you're not trained to deal with you know put your hands up and say look i'm not qualified to deal with with this let's get the experts in so you dial 999 yeah um, yeah yeah no, so, absolutely so that's, yeah. that's my best advice 
yeah, really good. Yeah, and and just on that as well. So, uh, just after the Christian Eriksen um, uh, cardiac arrest, I I did a a free um, refresher training for the use of AED and the basics of CPR for adults. Uh, it's on the it's on on our page. I can share it with the STA uh, group as well. It's about forty minutes long, and it and it and it teaches it from scratch. So if you've never done it before, never looked at anything like that before then it's a good kind of um stepping stone but if uh it's all it also can be used as a refresher as well so i'll i'll, I'll share that thanks mike appreciate that um online learning was was one that a, a question that came in and i thought oh god <laughs> uh, you know there are certain courses that it's appropriate to or acceptable to um to study online mm-hmm. um, blended learning courses you know uh, we'll use your course as an example mike i'm sure there is lots of things there the theoretical content the assignment which can be adequately achieved remotely yeah but if you're sticking needles in people if you're <laughs> trying to crack somebody's back let alone neck please don't subscribe to a, a 99 pound course because yeah. it's uninsurable you know yeah. that Companies out there will go to an insurance company that will insure anything. You know, there are them that they are out there. You know, yeah. if if the offers seems too good to be true, it, it is. You know, we have removed accreditation from some providers where they've moved their whole library online. Um, so, you know, my advice is, you know, if it's classed as high risk, you know, if you think it's high risk for you to have that treatment, then it should be face to face you know a decent period of study some pre-course reading some case studies and you should have an assessment of your of your competency in delivering that i don't think that it's safe to to do that online i don't think you can assess somebody appropriately via zoom or microsoft teams or others so that's my opinion would you uh, comment on that yeah No, I agree. I mean, that there was a there was a comment in a sports massage group the other day about CPD training, and um, I think there's been a bit of a blurring of the lines between uh, CPD and qualification courses, and um, and some people are a bit confused between the two. So I, I I put a comment on there that if your base level qualification covers a similar kind of topic area then you can add on a CPD. So for me, as an osteo, um, I could do that online course and I'll just go, oh yeah, forgot that, forgot how to do that, Manip. I, I can do that one again because I've been assessed on it. I've had my competency checked and I'm, I'm registered. Um, whereas if you, if you haven't had that in your base level qualification, then you, uh, you, you will struggle to prove competency. And, uh, and, that, and that's, the, that, that's the big thing with these courses um there's yeah there isn't an assessment um usually there there isn't one and um and if it is just a uh, multiple choice question paper then really that's not an adequate assessment for that kind of uh, that kind of treatment so um yeah i i would agree with that definitely yeah so yeah. we're avoiding certificates of attendance certificates of completion for anything we class as, as high risk um yeah. you know we are having a, a certificate of competency so check it's usually worth checking with the provider, you know, what do I come out with? You know, it will usually yeah. say it on the website, but to, to just reinforce your point, Mike, about CPD as opposed to qualifications, qualifications have their set at levels, which are 
or should be aligned to educational standards in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, CPD courses, if you see a CPD course that says it's level four or level five, it's not. You know, mm-hmm. it won't meet any of the standards, you know, in line with educational standards. It, w- it might be aligned. There might be some skills um, appropriate to a level four or five, and it might be targeted towards a level four or five therapist. But generally speaking, CPD should not have a level um, allocated to it. Yeah, um, one more question that came in, Mike, was, um, you know, now we're going back to normal and you might have seen these mass participation events and, and various concerts and um, festivals taking place. I, I've been asked this several times in, in the past couple of weeks is, you know, are, are there any guidance or is there any guidance for event work? Uh, and yes, there is. Um, the STA members uh, only group on Facebook has a file section in and the one day la- uh, dated July the 6th has um, details about what we should be looking for if we're doing event work. And that is basically that the governing body for that sport has already issued guidance for their mm-hmm. medical support staff. The event organiser should be able to furnish you with a risk assessment um, for every part of the event and that includes pre and post event massage provision uh, or medical provision if if that's your uh, area of expertise so once you've got the sports governing body um, guidance once you've got the event organizers uh, risk assessment and guidance documents you can then produce your own risk assessment and we are recommending um, you know open air if you can you've got if you've got a gazebo or a marquee making sure the sides are off maintaining distance um really tight infection control procedures you know even though these people have been doing lateral flow testing and uh, etc and being checked we, we all know that that's not foolproof so you know do your best to mitigate the risk to yourself uh, because that's where your risk assessment should start and end is with you, your safety. You don't want to pass it on to your family or your clients. So you keep yourself safe. And if you're doing that, I I think you'll be okay. Brilliant. Um, Any more questions, Mike, from your end? Yeah, so we've just had, um, so Scott's uh, just said about, this is going back to the first aid, I think. Um, so I'm in this predicament at the moment, so need to renew my pitch side qualification, uh, but struggling to find one running that's not on the other side of the country. So um, uh, j- just as you were chatting then about um, about that, Gary, I was thinking, well, if you, if you have links with a team, um, that have a have a doctor or a physio or someone that uh, that qualification has hasn't expired. So a sports therapist who's who's still in in date, then you could do a session with them as a as a refresher session because you should do annual refreshers anyway. So uh, you could, that you can document that and you can put that down in your portfolio so that you've got evidence that you've covered um, some of the aspects of the pitch side course because you haven't been able to attend the course. I think that that might be a good, um, a good way of, uh, of uh, kind of plugging that, plugging that gap. And it, especially if you've not done anything for uh, three years, um, you know, if it's been that long since you last did your qualification, then uh, yeah, definitely, definitely worth hooking up with someone who's uh, either just recently qualified or, or is still in date. Yeah. Especially because the the guidance changes from time to time. If we get somebody new at the head of the sport or new at the head of the uh, the first aid 
uh, then sometimes things change. You know, how many times have we done 30 compressions and two breaths and now it's staying alive or is it something else? You know, it, it yeah, always changes. Yeah. So do your best to to get updated, like Mike says. Yeah, and and um, so uh, this, this isn't a plug for my courses, but I, I have been teaching first aid again. Um, we haven't done many this year, but I'll just let you know what I've been doing um, so that you can ask the same questions of the first aid providers to allay your fears about going on a face-to-face course. So I've I've got these kind of inflatable mannequins now. So you roll up your your own mannequin and uh, instead of having the hard plastic bodied ones, um, so I've got got 10, so I limit the places to 10 and you have a mannequin each. Um, I've also got these uh, these small defib devices um, that um, they're from China or something, but they just need a couple of batteries in. And, uh, and I've got 10 of those as well. So literally you have your own course so we can separate everybody. And, uh, and when you do the, um, uh, when you do the interactive stuff, so top to toe and recovery position, then, uh, you're in full PPE. So that, that's the way that I've got around it. That's the way that I feel comfortable delivering it. And the feedback from the guys who've done the courses has been really good. So, um, yeah, if you're worried about doing a course in a group again, then just ask, ask those questions about how they're, how they're delivering those practical sessions. Yeah, um, agree with that 100%, Mike. Lisa Reynolds has put she's attending the Rock Tape course in Birmingham soon. Can't wait. But she's doing it twice because she's attending another rock tape course. Can't wait. We'll definitely look into this one now. Uh, Booked in for two. Booked in for two. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. that's a bit soon for a refresher, if I'm honest, Lisa. Yeah, Um, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, have you got any more questions? I've got a couple that came in. Um, Let's have a look. I I don't think many more came through from my guys. Actually, let me just check on here. Oh, actually, yeah, we did. Uh, sorry, this is one from Dan. Um, so how can we compete ethically in our marketing um, with the, uh, I'll have to reword the question, uh, with the rubbish out there promising the world? Um, I think we kind of covered that earlier with, um, uh, this is the this is the um, kind of position we're in, isn't it? There's, uh, we want to be evidence-based, but then people aren't, searching for evidence-based kind of practice evidence-based language so we sometimes have to use some of the language that we wouldn't really want to use um, because that's what people are looking for that's how google works it's how the ads work to, to bring people in so it's it's really tough um it's, it's really hard i get I, you have to make the change i think when um when they come into the clinic so the but if people have been to my clinic before, um, we've, we've got a gym um, there. So when people come in, they're really surprised that it's not just a load of treatment rooms um, because an osteopath doesn't usually have a gym. Yeah? And uh, and I've had a few patients come in where the first thing I ask them is, what do you want to get out of today? What's your goal for today? And they usually say, you know, I want to find out what's wrong with me. They never say, I want you to crack my back. They never say, I want you to crack my neck. They 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 don't actually know what they're after. They just know that they need to see someone who looks as if they might be able to help. And um, uh, so if you can give them that that help, really the modality that you use, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, we, we don't go to a solicitor and, and, uh, and tell them what we want them to do. We say, well, you're the expert. You know, you tell me 
you know, how I buy a house or how I sell a house. You know, yeah, they know yeah. the nuts and bolts of the industry like we know the nuts and bolts of our industry. So I agree with that. You know, um, the, the question was about the marketing, wasn't it? And yeah, yeah. Now, if we if we go back to the original point about making sure your marketing is trying to attract the right type of client, I think ethically we're on the right track. I don't think there's any value in listing services myself. Um, it's um, you know it's about making that connection. But interestingly, today you know, and, and if we go back to Dr. Chris Norris's interview uh, that Matt did about posture, when it's important, when it's not. I started mm-hmm. reading today on Facebook. There was a picture of of, of swayback kyphosis. Um, there, you know, five or six different postures, um, and I thought, should we be marketing this still? You know that there is some optimal posture. You know. Um, and I thought I was disappointed. Then I came, I read it a little bit further and and it was it was on the right lines. You know, it was saying, you know, there is no such thing as a good posture. You know, it, Brilliant. if you've got a posture which is kyphotic, then you might have some some tight muscles which might be restricting your breathing. And it was lots of mites and maize and maybes. And I, and I thought, well, that's good because I, my initial you know, I judged it by the judged the book by its cover, and, and and I was pleasantly surprised. So that message is getting across, I think. Um, yeah, brilliant, and that, so, and that's really clever, I think, because you've got you've got that hook in with what people are looking for, and then actually you've got decent information underneath. So yeah. that that's a real that's a real nice eth- ethical way of of doing it, and uh, um, but yeah, a good adaptation, I, I think, um, to. Uh, uh, to also make yourself stand out because people might have just left the image and then that is their advert. But going on to explain a little bit more might, you know, um, uh, interest those those people that uh, have just heard the same stuff over and over again. And they go, oh, this person's different. So that I think that's really good. It's very clever. Yeah. Um, um, are you going to read sorry, Catherine's think- out? Yeah, I was just going to say, Catherine said a similar kind of thing. So I struggle with uh, wording in marketing as I feel I have to go against my beliefs in having to wor- uh, use words like poor posture or not to get general public interest. Uh, P.S. I'm terrible at marketing. I'm sure you're not. Um, I, th- I, th- I think it's exactly that. Maybe kind of putting those those headlines in there because that's what that's what people expect. But then giving that additional information um so so that um you can explain what we think knots are now and uh and and giving that additional uh, information to set you apart from the other guys who are just going get rid of your knots so uh i i I think we can use it in it to a certain extent yeah it's Um, always it's always useful to ask the client you know mm. um what what do you think is good posture what do you think knots are Get an understanding yep. for what their interpretation of the words are, what they mean to them, and then use better words to explain actually what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and Kat, if you want to chat about marketing, um, just schedule a call with me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Brilliant. Um, and then Sarah Humphreys, uh, she has said, I don't have a degree or anything uh, in anything, sorry, uh, but it's something that I have thought about doing for my own self-development. Any suggestions on pathway for this work, uh, working full time? Uh, is the Open University credible? Um, I think it depends on where you want to go, Sarah, and, uh, and what you want to do. I, I have a lot of conversations with people about um, doing um, sports therapy degrees 
physio degrees, osteo, chiro. And uh, quite often, they're not actually interested in the profession, um, but they just want to get better knowledge. So I think you, you first of all, have to decide which, which way you want to go. So do you want to follow down a particular line to go into a particular profession or, or are, yeah, do you just want to b- become better at, at what you already do? So um, what, do you, what do you reckon, Gary? Well, I have these chats several times a week. And the, the, the main reason people are enrolling on these osteopathic degrees, physio degrees, sports therapy degrees that I'm being reported to are that they think it's going to make them more employable. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. If you want to do a degree to tick that box for personal development, then that's great. You know, I would never advise you against doing that. Pick something that you're interested in. You know, something, If let's just, you know, pick something out of the air here. If we're working as a therapist, you know, and we, we are, see, as a sports massage therapist, we might be seeing a lot of people suffering from stress and anxiety. And it might be an area of interest to you. So why not have a look at psychology? Why not have mm-hmm. a look at um, some more of the social sciences um, degrees to find out whether it interests you? And I wouldn't enroll on a degree. You know, I wouldn't do it until I've done a lot of research about how it's going to fit in with your, your life. My, my degree is in education um, and, and I, I've ticked that box. Um, it doesn't bring me any work. It doesn't get me any extra money, but I tick that box. And it, and it was useful at that at the time when I was, when I was educating. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to have a chat with you, Sarah. Uh, again, schedule a call. Um, hi, Brian. Nice and late there, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, late than never. Thanks, yeah, Brian. <laughs> there's um, just a couple of things then that, um, that I've got left on, on my list. Um, there was a... Client, uh, sorry, member feedback was that during lockdown, we had some really interesting coffee morning chats and it's yep. been brought up several times. So Scott said that he's going to bring them back, but they're not going to be coffee mornings. They're going to be, well, the, there is one this week for those people who uh, would like to join us at 11 o'clock on Thursday. There's no specific topic of discussion. It's just a join in and let's see what happens. But what we're going to do with these coffee mornings, we're going to we're going to move them around because not everybody can do Thursday at 11, not everybody can do Friday at 7 or, or, or Sunday at 9. So we'll advertise them with um, with plenty of notice um, and we will see how it goes. Uh, if they're well attended, we'll keep them going. If they're not well attended, then we will focus resources elsewhere. Um, there was another question about Therapy Expo. Um, are we going this year? Yes, we are going. Uh, we have got a price point, which I believe is going to be £79 plus VAT. I'm just um, going to check with them tomorrow that that's the best we can get. I'm going to try and get a you know a, a, a cheaper option if I can. Um, so, yes, we are going to Therapy Expo. We have got four keynote speakers on the on the Wednesday and four on the Thursday. Uh, we have got a bigger stand than normal because we uh, attract a lot of people, apparently, and, and cause lots of uh, chaos in the aisles. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jamie, uh, the best thing to do is send me a Facebook message to STA Gary um, with a, a preferred number and time to call. and I will um, I will schedule one for you. That's not a problem. Um, yeah. 
Uh, the, the only other thing, Mike, just just quickly, was somebody asked me if it was worthy uh, of their fee to join an accredited register. Does it give any any benefits? Um, would you like to answer that one, or do you want me to go? Oh man, that's a whole other hour, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, is it worth it? Um, I think initially, I think when you first start out, yes. I think when you um, when you get a bit um, uh, when you get a bit further down the line, then the I think membership to an association is more important than being on a register. Uh, because you've already developed your practice um, and then with being part of an association, you still have to maintain your uh, continued uh, professional development. Uh, so you have all of the same kind of stipulations that you would if you, if you were part on a register. But um, the, uh, it, it depends on the organization, I guess. But the, from speaking to all different professions, being on the register, being on a register, um, doesn't doesn't bring massive benefits i think people see it as the kind of land of milk and honey um but the, i mean the one massive benefit obviously during the last year was the fact that regulated professions could continue to work and there was no um that there was no issue uh, with that so obviously that that was a huge benefit um but now we're down the line and all of the fighting that you did gary along with the other members of the uh, gcmt i think now sports therapy is in a position where if they did try to do that well that, i don't think they could do that again we've kind of set the boundaries now that at, at these levels um people um who have those um, i think it was level four and above wasn't it that they could continue to work because you would expect them to um, to follow professional guidance and, and work in a professional manner. Um, not that level threes wouldn't, but those people can deal with pathology. So, uh, um, which is real, really key as we, as we've seen during this last year. So I think even though that was a benefit last year, I think there are things in place now where even that has kind of been negated. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I was having a chat with uh, Chris Kitson uh, the other day, and um, we, we were talking about the um, uh, being on the osteopathic register and the, and the kind of things it, it brings. And, and the, it looks as if there's there's going to be some uh, changes with the osteopathy world uh, with some of the proposals that are coming through. But um, a, anything like that takes a long time to change. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of things around about really. It's a bit of a rubbish answer. Um, but it kind of depends. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just a bit of history then. Uh, the accredited registers in our industry were originally brought out as voluntary regulatory registers. Um, yeah. The NHC held one. Um, the FHT now holds one. Basrat hold one for um, graduate sports rehabilitators. Uh, and that is part of your membership fee. Um, the ones at FHT, they have everybody and their dog on there. It's become a bums on seats. I think the CNHC um, has gone the same way. It's not about mm -hmm. upholding standards. Uh, it's about bums on seats to pay the 20 grand a year that it costs to maintain a register. Yeah. Um, I don't see any particular benefits. Some of the promises about doctors referring to uh, members of accredited regi or registrants of, of uh, registers uh, hasn't come to fruition. I, I think it's an extra layer, layer of bureaucracy. I think it's possibly a waste of your 
um, you know, 75 quid or whatever. Um, but the, it does have benefits, you know, um, you can get, um, you know, uh, exemption from licenses in the London boroughs, for example. But I'm already working on that with 38 boroughs in London so that our members can get exemption from special treatment licenses. Uh, there are places like Nottinghamshire where they are saying sports massage will always have a, uh, a license. And, and I think they're just looking at ways of, of recouping income at the moment. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that basically gets everything off my list, uh, Mike. Um, Brilliant. Can, can I just finish by saying that um, one of my industry mentors, and I'm not blowing your trumpet here, Mike, much, but once told me, once said to me, we're not questioning what you're doing. We're questioning what you're saying about what you're doing. So if you are a soft tissue therapist, a sports therapist, you know, use your skills. You, you know, if you've done the, the, the appropriate training, got the qualification, you want to do the, the sports massage, the soft tissue release, um, the PNF, et cetera, do that. You know, yeah. it's the way you explain the likely outcome, the likely benefit, and actually the mechanics of what you're doing is is what research is questioning. Okay, yeah. um, exactly. and I don't know if anybody yeah. saw this because Matt Scar's book, if he's, he's not, I haven't seen him tonight, but he put it all over social media that he actually the Massage Collective actually got one of their um, their discussions uh, retweeted by Mr. Meekins, uh, a yeah. massage based one, uh, because it was, you know, it had an evidence based to, to what they were saying. So, you know, the world is changing. As you said, Mike, it's, it's slowly, um, but the world is changing. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Yeah. Good session. That went really quick. I hope <laughs> it did for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your, uh, thank you for your comments guys, uh, all the way through this evening. Uh, thanks, Gary. That um, that was a good chat. Really good. Cleared some things there. And um, yeah, it looks like we answered everything. I guess if anybody's got any further questions throughout the week or if you th think of anything, I mean, you, you know, the STA anyway, we're, we're really um, there to help uh, help guys. So if um, yeah, if you if you got any questions, then pop it in the Facebook group and uh, and then we can we can address those uh, throughout the week. Well, and, and beyond the week as well. So uh, Matt's back next week. Who's the guest next week, Gary? You know? I can't remember. <laughs> no, I was going to. I, I haven't got a list. I can't. Um, uh, yeah, I'm all fingers and thumbs with this uh, uh, with this system. Uh, yeah. So, well, I'm sure it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, Matt's back next week, eight o'clock. Um, uh, with a, um, he's going to have a nice. Uh, he's going to have a nice tan, isn't he? After being in the rain for a week, he so... probably have a cold <laughs> and a chest infection, won't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining in, and I'll see you again soon. Thanks, Gary. Stay safe. Take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. It.